Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you here on the uh, Buck Sexton Show. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. An honor and a privilege. And we have much to discuss. Going to cover a lot of ground today on the show. We will get into the endless hearing today. I mean, it was just went on and on. We'll get into that. Uh, and t- I'll give you the most important takeaways from it. Also, the possibility. It was reported last night that it was happening or it was likely to happen. Uh, I'm not so sure. But the possibility of... A, a, an investigation, even a special counsel appointment for the investigation of the Uranium One deal. Uh, we'll also get Andy McCarthy to weigh in on that one. He was a assistant U.S. attorney here in New York, dealt with some very, very big cases, uh, prosecuted the blind shake involved in the First World Trade Center bombing, for example. So Andy really knows his stuff and is a, a very astute analyst of these matters. Uh, then we will also discuss the... The back and forth between Trump Jr. and WikiLeaks, which wasn't really a back and forth. I, I don't know what to say. Um, and it, I mean, it was it was, but it was pretty, pretty quick. He shared the tweets um, and I'll give you my sense of what's real with that and what's not. If I have time, also a little bit of a wrap up on Trump's trip to Asia and what we can take from all of that and whatever else comes all right third hour we'll have some fun i've got some interesting well well, we're going to talk about some very serious stuff uh in terms of sexual harassment allegations but then i'll tell you about the the dachshund and i know dachshund part two that's coming up today too for those of you who in case in case you cared uh i've I've got a follow-up to that story um but in the meantime i knew that i was going to have to watch it this is one of those times when as a media person somebody who makes a living as an analyst of uh the news and what's happening in this country and around the world. I had to watch this Jeff Sessions House Judiciary Committee testimony today, or at least as I mean, I watched a lot of it. I, I, at some point, I was like, I got to go get a sandwich or something, obviously gluten free bread. Um, but at some point, I, I got to tap out. I, I can't do this. Right. It's just the same thing. You get these congressmen and, you know, especially you get all these. You're you're reminded of how. Look, I'm just going to keep it real. You're reminded of how unimpressive a lot of members of Congress are when you see these hearings. You get a lot of guys who are like, uh, you know, you know, it's this, uh, you know, Russia and collusion and, and you know, you just can't believe these people are these people are making decisions that affect the most powerful nation in the history of the world, 320 million people and counting, and we got these clowns down there. I'm look, it's the truth. I'm not saying all of them, but some of them. You see it, and it's hard not to think to yourself, you know, wow, we, we got to do a better job picking our members of Congress. Uh, more true on their side than our side, but let's be honest, everybody, also a little true on our side. Also, a little, we, we, we could 
we could up the game a little bit. We could bring just the A game. We got a, we got a lot of a lot of Bs and B pluses in Congress, e- even on the Republican side. At I know some of you are yelling. You're like Paul Ryan is a C, a C minus at best. Um, which maybe that's true, but uh, it, we're watching this today, and you can see. I mean, you, you hear what the narrative is. You you know what's coming. They they want to just use this. They create a news cycle by asking the same questions as, as though this is advancing the story or as though this is bringing new information to light. The whole purpose of today's hearing for the Democrats was let's ask Jeff Sessions, who is hated by the left. And I'll remind you, because I know a lot of people are down on Sessions, and I've said I don't think he's enough of a of a street brawler. I think he has not... Re- I don't think he really understood. I think he's an honorable guy. I don't think he really understood what he was getting in the middle of by becoming the attorney general for this administration. You know, this was not, hey, you know, why don't you come join the the fencing club after school? This was like, hey, we're meeting at this dirt patch in the abandoned alleyway and everyone's bringing lead pipes. That's what Jeff Sessions was getting into with this administration. I'm not sure he really he really understood that, but I think he's a pretty I think he's a pretty good guy. And I would also add that Sessions is so hated by the left that there has to be something. There has to be plenty of good stuff about him. I mean, they despise this individual so thoroughly that it is it is a badge of honor. I mean, he must be. He, you know, he's good when they hate him that much. Uh, so, and he's always a pretty you know soft spoken guy and seems fair minded and uh, and articulate and reasonable. Uh, there was. Well, here's here's the main takeaway. They want to put him up there to ask him a lot of different ways, you know. Did you lie? Did you lie about Russia? Did you, you know, Russia collusion. Let's talk about Russia collusion. It's like we're going to do the same stuff over and over again. It was just, quite frankly, the, the hearing couldn't have been any more boring. I mean, this made your average day at C-SPAN look like a party with, you know, jello shots and a, and a bouncy castle or something in the back. I mean, this was boring as boring could be, but they were uh, they were pushing Sessions on the issue of whether he lied. That's where they want. You'll, you'll notice the, the only convictions or the only allegations of criminal behavior that Democrats can come up with are whether whether it's Papadopoulos. I know he pled guilty, but, you know, who cares what Papadopoulos was saying to somebody about Russia? This guy was nothing. I mean, I'm sure he's, you know, a human being, his mom and dad love him, but you know what I mean. He was nothing in terms of the co- the campaign, and they've got Manafort on what exactly? I-, I thought maybe with Manafort there would be more charges, right? They'd say, "Oh, look at this, Manafort didn't pay taxes on all this money. We- we've we've got him nailed." Mm, foreign agent registration and and a conspiracy to launder money, but was he laundering money exactly? This should be pretty straightforward, and so far it has not been not so much so then that brings us to what they're trying now with 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 jeff sessions which is that the the crime that the democrats want to get people on are always process crimes democrats because they are statists and collectivists by nature have an affinity for processes because they oppose individualism because they're not about the merits and responsibilities of the individual as an ideological issue Right. They always think of the group of group identity, of identity politics, of the collective, of the collective good or the collective whatever they want. They 
are comfortable with bureaucracy and process. This is why the government, especially at the federal level, is full, full of leftists, just leftists all over the place. Prius driving, Bernie Sanders loving leftists. And you're like, wait a second, you, you work for Uncle Sam and you're all about Democrat socialism? Yes, they are. Uh, but they, they are comfortable with process, they're comfortable with bureaucracy, and they understand how to use those institutions to their advantage in a cultural sense and, yes, in a political and legal sense, too. So what they're hoping here is that they can get the Attorney General Jeff Sessions to admit that he lied, to say that he's a liar, to undermine his credibility, and Jeff Sessions just wasn't having any of it. It was a form of chaos every day from day one. We traveled uh, sometimes to several places in one day. Sleep was in short supply. And I was still a full-time senator at a very, with a very full schedule. I have been asked to remember details from a year ago, such as who I saw on what day and what meeting and who said what to when. In all of my testimony, I can only do my best to answer your questions as I understand them and to the best of my memory. But I will not accept and reject accusations that I have ever lied. Let me be clear. I have at all times conducted myself honorably and in a manner consistent with the high standards and responsibilities of the Office of Attorney General, which I revere. Yeah, he's throwing down there. He's not messing around. He said, look, I'm sick of this stuff. And I think I think Sessions has had a wake-up call, everyone. I really do. I, I know that he's been a longtime politico and, and you know serving as a senator from Alabama and all this, but the Trump situation is just, we all know this, the Trump administration, to be a part of this, it's just different. It just is. You, know, you are jumping into the... I've always got to be careful. For some reason, I, I, others do this too. We say, you know, jumping into the eye of the hurricane. You're, well, that's the quiet part, right? That's the chill part. So that doesn't make sense. You got to jump into like the the first couple of rings of the of the proverbial hurricane, right? That's where things are crazy, and that's what he has. That's what he has done by joining the the Trump administration and being a senior figure in it, right? You can probably get away with being Trump's commerce secretary without too much ado. Uh, but you're not going to get away with being the head of the Department of Justice without them coming after you. So on the one hand, you know, there, there were just two narratives today. It was a tale of two narratives. You have the Democrats pushing sessions on lies and Russia collusion and nothing new. They brought no new anything to the discussion. It was just a repetition. It was like they were doing a couple of quick searches on Politico, the New York Times and the Huffington Post to give them their talking points for what to they're not asking questions. They're making allegations with an inter, uh, interrogative at the end. You know, you talked to Russia and did bad things. <laughs> you know, you're like, wait, is that a question? You were colluding with Russia to overturn the election. Yes, yes, that is that is what they are doing. They're saying that on the other side, the Republicans also let's let's be honest, using this for a bit of grandstanding. But what are they going to do? Right, just sit there and let the let the Democrats uh, pillory Jeff Sessions? No, they're going to push back. And so what did they do? They said, okay, well, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about what Democrats do not want to discuss, which is 
the possibility of an investigation into Uranium One and Hillary. I should note that on this point of Democrats understanding the grinding machinery of bureaucracy and also their willingness to use the law as a tool of politics to weaponize prosecutors' offices and the Department of Justice, I think Republicans, not just Jeff Sessions, I think Republicans have started to figure out that maybe you have to fight fire with fire here. And I understand that can feel a bit dangerous and unsettling. I understand that that starts to kick at some of the load-bearing walls of our republic, but we face an implacable political opponent here that will do everything and anything to not just get their way on an individual issue, not force Republicans into the middle or more to their side. They seek the eradication of conservatism in this country entirely. They seek to destroy the conservative movement and to ostracize its ideology. That's what we're. And if they have to lock people up on trumped up charges, whether it's Trump's top people or others, they will. They will. So that's what we're up against. And so some are saying maybe just maybe a little bit of a Hillary investigation. Hillary investigation would be a good thing. Play it, sir. Are you recused? from investigations that involve Secretary Clinton. Mr. Chairman, uh, it's, I cannot answer that yes or no, because under the policies of the Department of Justice, to announce recusal uh, in any investigation would reveal the existence of that investigation. So what he's saying is you can't, you know, can't fool me. If I told you I was recusing the investigation, you know there's an investigation, and I'm not going to tell you. Now, there is the possibility, therefore, that the DOJ is already. Keep that in mind, because I know a lot of people, and I may be guilty of this, too. A lot of people are saying, you know, Sessions not getting it done. Trump was very harsh with Sessions for a while publicly. But maybe Jeff Sessions has got a surprise up his sleeve. Just maybe Jeff Sessions and the Department of Justice have seen enough, have gotten enough of a of a possibility of a whiff of criminal activity from the Clinton Foundation or Uranium One and all these stories, they're saying, okay, let's uh, let's let's look into this and let's not tell anybody about it. Let's not do what the Democrats are doing with the special counsel and turn it into a big dog and pony show. Let's make this about the facts and let's wait to go public until we have them nailed. Now that I don't know if that's true, I am extrapolating. I am surmising here maybe even assuming a little bit. But that is certainly a possibility. So keep that in mind. 844-900-2825-844-900 buck. Uh, what do you think about What do you think about Jeff Sessions? Doing a good job? Should Jeff uh, Jeff Sessions stay in his role? I, I heard I, I read, I didn't hear, but I guess maybe I heard it too. I can't remember. That some are saying Jeff Sessions write-in candidate and uh, for Roy Moore in Alabama, right? What Oh, McConnell said it. Thank you, Tyrone. McConnell said it, but not in front of cameras. Yeah, I didn't know if I read it or saw it or what. But All right, so that's another interesting thing. What do you think about all this? What do you think about Jeff Sessions, the hearings today? Should there be an investigation into Uranium One and Hillary? 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. The Department of Justice can never be used to retaliate politically against opponents, and that would be wrong. 
The Obama administration used the IRS to retaliate against opponents. We know that. Really want to believe that the DOJ wasn't also used? We, who, who, who believes that? Right? Who believes there wasn't a politicization, a profound politicization of the Department of Justice under the Obama administration? I'd like to, I'd like to have that debate with that individual. Uh, we got a lot of lines lit. Let's take some. John in Mississippi, WBUV. Hey, John. Hey, Buck. Enjoy your show. You're not a firebrand. You're very reasonable and well-spoken. Thank you, sir. Yes. Um, yeah, so I do think that it would be just grand if Hillary was investigated for Uranium One, if not for the fact that there may have been collusion and chicanery with regard to that specific topic, but it would open up a whole can of worms that needs to be opened up. So you just want to see what, I mean, you'd like to see what comes out if they start kicking the dirt there. Yeah, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, if she is, if they are not brought to justice, it sends a message that the system just doesn't work at all. You know, can they be exempt? Are they royalty? Uh, they've been treated that way, but I think it's time for that to stop. Yeah, I think so, too. I'd, I'd like to see more facts come out about what went on with the Clinton with the Clinton Foundation and, and all of this. And look, yeah. you know, why not? Right. And federal government, they've done. Didn't they have like hearings on steroids and baseball some years ago? Right? I mean, come on. Right. This is actually worthwhile. We should find out. Right. This involves Russia, nuclear fissile material. There's important stuff going on here. John, thank you for your yeah. calling your kind words from Mississippi. Appreciate it. Brent in New Mexico, iHeart app. Hey, Brent. Hey, Buck Shields High. Shields High. Hey, Noah. On a personal, I like Jeff Sessions. I think, you know, it's like what you were talking about yesterday. I think, you know, he's not going to compromise his conservative values to get ahead, you know, of the game with the Democrats, personally. I think that's where he comes from on that. But, uh, uh, just on a, you were mentioning if there was investigations going on, and I just want your thoughts on it. Wouldn't you think? I mean, I know Trump's the head of it, and uh, Sessions runs the department, but that place that place leaks like a sieve, man. Wouldn't we have already found out about this some way, somehow? Somebody would have leaked this stuff by now, wouldn't you think? It might be. Let, let's say Jeff Sessions began a probe, and he put a couple of his best guys on it, so to speak, and and he said, "Look, we got to keep this super quiet because." If, if people find out, they're going to try to shut this down with political pressure. You know, look, I don't know, right? I mean, I'm I'm surmising, as I said before. Uh, I, I'm not saying this is happening, but I'm saying it is possible, and there's some reason to believe. Think about the questions. I mean, congressmen were asking whether this investigation is ongoing, and Sessions was saying, I can't talk about it. That's That means that it's in the realm of the plausible. Wouldn't you agree, Brent, that there could be something going on? Or maybe... Sessions is planning to start an investigation in the next few weeks, days, months, who knows? Oh, yes, sir. I agree. It just seems like it, you know, in order for that, a couple of people, that's a lot of money or a lot of resources to go and investigate an investigation like that. Yeah. Well, we'll see, man. Brent, thank you for calling in Shields. Hi, team. We've got Andy McCarthy up next on all this DOJ stuff and Russia collusion. Stay with me. We know that former FBI Director James Comey misled the American people in the summer of 2016 when he called the Clinton investigation a matter. It's obviously an investigation. We know FBI Director Comey was drafting an exoneration letter before the investigation was complete. We know Loretta Lynch, one day before the Benghazi report came out, five days before Secretary Clinton was scheduled to be interviewed by the FBI, met with former President Bill Clinton on a tarmac in Phoenix. 
I guess my main question is, what's it going to take if all that, not to mention the dossier information, what's it going to take to actually get a special counsel? It would take a factual basis that meets the standards of the appointment of a special counsel. Quite a rant there. Quite a rant from Representative Jim Jordan. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to look into the Clinton Foundation, to look into Uranium One? And you had a short answer there from Jeff Sessions, but I can get you a longer and a better one now, courtesy of Andy McCarthy, who joins us, former assistant U.S. attorney here in New York City, best-selling author, National Review contributing editor. Andy, great of you to make the time. Thanks for joining. Buck, my pleasure. So you have a piece up that I feel like a lot of people are going to want to hear about. It's up on National Review right now. We don't need a special counsel to investigate the Clinton Foundation. Now, you're not saying that's because there's nothing to see there. You're saying they could just do this, right, Andy? Walk us through. Yeah, it's what the Justice Department is there for. Um, You know, I spent 20 years in the as you mentioned, in the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York. We investigate Republicans. We investigated Democrats. Um, that's what you have U.S. Attorney's Offices for. And I think, as much as I'm uh, a fan of, of Jim Jordan, I think in that uh, uh, soliloquy you just played, he, he kind of ties up some connections that may not be connected. But, but leaving that aside, I, I think his heart's in the right place in the sense that he thinks that the Clinton Foundation and related events like Uranium One and the emails and, and what have you ought to be looked at. I agree with that. It absolutely should be looked at in a serious way. But there's no structural reason why the Justice Department can't do that. And you get the sense, Buck, that this is a kind of a tit-for-tat thing, whereas, you know, a political argument where they're saying, well, the Trump-Russia connection got a special counsel in Mueller, so why can't we get a special counsel for the the Clinton-Russia connection. And that's not the way it works. You have a special counsel when the Justice Department, for some reason, is conflicted out of the case. So in the Trump-Russia situation, where, by the way, I didn't think there should be a, a special counsel in the first place. I agree with you, yeah. They, had, they didn't have crimes to investigate. But let's pretend there's crimes. In that situation, you have the administration then in the position of investigating itself. So for that reason, you would bring in someone quasi-independent uh, to to take over the investigation. That situation doesn't obtain with Mrs. Clinton. You have a you know a Republican administration running the Justice Department, and she's a Democrat. So you know there's political overtones, but there that happens every time there's a political corruption case. There's no structural reason some good U.S. Attorney's Office can't do this investigation. And frankly, I think. You know, judging by some reporting that we've had over the last year, for all we know, they are doing an investigation. Andy, putting your former prosecutor hat on for a second here, I've I've heard all the uh, all the arguments that have been made today. Uh, well, there was a lot of stuff down on Capitol Hill, but also in the media, people on the one hand are saying the whole Clinton Foundation business, and it really was a, a business, uh, is so shady. There has to be stuff there. On the other hand, though, on Uranium One specifically, there are those who are saying, look, no uranium was exported. Hillary was one of, I forget, a nine or ten member board. The president also could have played a role in it. It's not like she just was the was the decider on this. And it's a it's a whole lot of nothing. What do you say to the people that are just jumping right to Uranium One's a whole lot of nothing? Well, if they think if, if it's a whole lot of nothing, they have nothing to be worried about by an investigation. You know what you have here, Buck. Um, which is very disturbing, 
is a lot of money going into the Clinton Foundation. Like $100 million, right? I mean, big, big money, even by Clinton standards. Like $140 million, I think, is yeah. the last count I saw. Plus, you have this really raw uh, situation of, you know, Bill Clinton goes to give a canned 30-minute speech that he's given a million times and could give in his sleep and probably in everybody else's sleep, uh, and he gets paid half a million dollars for it by Russia, um, you know, through a financial institution intermediary when this decision is on the table. And that income is imputed to Mrs. Clinton because they're married. So, um, you know, if somebody came into Mrs. Clinton's office while this thing was being uh, considered and she was on this committee, and while, while you're quite right, she's not the only person on the committee, the way the committee works is if somebody has a strong objection, the, the transaction generally doesn't get approved. Um, and if, if during that decision-making pro- process, somebody came in and dropped $500,000 on her desk, uh, and then she voted in favor, um, I think that would raise a lot of people's suspicion. So the fact that it was done through a speech rather than more crassly by you know the money on the desk doesn't mean it's not worth investigating. Um, it is an uphill case. It is a long time ago, so you have statute of limitations problems. And look, the Supreme Court has made political corruption cases much more difficult. We're seeing that again and again in cases across the country. So I'm the last person saying this is a slam dunk, but at the same time, I don't see any problem with its being looked at, and I think it should be looked at. We're speaking to Annie McCarthy of National Review. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, you can read his latest on nationalreview.com. Andy, you mentioned political corruption. Senator Menendez, his fate hangs in the balance, and last I saw... It was a, a jury that could not come to a decision. What, what can we expect here? What do you, what do you see yeah, going on? That's looking like a hung jury to me. I mean, I, uh, based on just reading the accounts of the jurors who got dismissed. Yeah, f- five, um, days of, five days of talks for the jury, no, no decision yet. Yeah, and it looked to me, just on the last account I, I saw, Buck, it looked like you had people who felt very strongly on both sides. And the fact that you and I are able to have that conversation means there's a lot public going on about what's going on in the, the jury deliberation room, which is also never a good thing. So I hate to, I hate to see this because there's nothing more um, frustrating to the system than to have a long, complicated trial and have it end in a mistrial and, and perhaps have to do it all over again. Is that what you think would happen here? Would, would they just start the whole thing all over? That, that seems like a, it has to be a well, possibility, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, the case in, in, um, in New York involving um, corruption, where that case got thrown out on appeal, um, that case had real problems because a lot of the transactions were old and they were relying on uh, later transactions that had less evidence to kind of stitch it all together. And I don't know if you could try that case again. What I understand about Menendez's cases is pretty, you know, there's some pretty strong evidence um, of, of payments. Now, uh, I must say, I've written about this a few times, the Supreme Court's McDonnell case, named after Bob McDonnell, the former uh, governor of Virginia, has really made this area very, very difficult. And it, it becomes really tough to prosecute uh, political corruption, because you have to separate out what's a quid pro quo, versus what's proper lobbying of your congressman and then him uh, acting on it, uh, 
in a way that um, is, is normal politics. And you know normal politics always has this gray area of, you know, are you, are you doing things because you're getting paid off or, you, or are your supporters contributing to you because they agree with your policy inclination? So it's, it's, it's become very murky to, to do these cases. One more for you, Andy, before we let you get back to everything you got going on, and, and that is I saw your tweet uh, about how you think that the FISA application as it pertains to the Trump-Russia collusion investigation should be, uh, well, should be redacted as necessary but publicized so that we have a sense as to whether the dossier, the Fusion GPS Christopher Steele dossier, was the basis for it. I totally agree. I just want to know, are they holding back on that because there's the investigation going on, or do you think they'll try to never publicize that? It's it's really tough, Buck, to understand what's going on there. And the way I reacted, and, and the reason I, I've, I've made this suggestion, is because we've been hearing for months and months that maybe this dossier was used in an improper way to to get a warrant from the FISA court, and while there are some things that, like uh, like we just discussed, Uranium One, there are some com- complicated transactions, right? This is a simple one. They either did it or they didn't, right? So you look at the FISA application and you find out what did they tell the court about the dossier, and then we can all move on uh, knowing what happened. So, you know, it's a FISA application, so it's classified, and there are some people who institutionally won't ever, ever want a FISA application to be unsealed in any way. Um, there are some people who are afraid to do this because they're afraid they'll be accused of um, improperly influencing uh, Mueller's investigation or improperly in- interfering with it. And then there's also the possibility that, you know, there's stuff in that application that even if it's not criminal, is unsavory and you know, maybe there are people in the administration who would rather have the political issue uh, of did they present the dossier to the FISA court than to disclose what actually is in there. They may, they may make the calculation that they're better off uh, making the argument that there's a witch hunt uh, than you know, having really, real disclosure. So it's probably one of these situations where it's a complicated set of uh, motivations that people have. But I still say let's cut to the chase and find out what happened and move on. Andy McCarthy of National Review, everybody. Follow him at Andrew, McCar- Andrew C. McCarthy on Twitter and to check out his latest, nationalreview.com. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks, Buck. All right, team, rolling into a break here. We've got much more coming your way, uh, including a discussion of the a discussion of the whole WikiLeaks to Trump Jr. situation. I don't, you know, they're trying to make a big deal of it. I don't think it is a big deal, but what's the, what's the allegation? What are they trying to say? I'll give you that, and also an update on the whole RT situation and the foreign agent registration. It's interesting stuff. We'll we'll work through it together. I'll be right back. I think we'll hold off on the tax talk until tomorrow in terms of the uh, tax reform agenda. I think we can do that, right? There's so much coverage of it on TV, and I'm always like, I know that ta- it's important because we all pay taxes. And yes. Just not not the most riveting discussion all the time. So maybe we'll have a little more on on the tax rate uh, and the Trump tax package tomorrow. I think Trump is going to make a big announcement, right? He hasn't made it yet. Tomorrow is when I suppose because the Trump is back, right? He's back on U.S. soil. He's back ordering well done steaks. The only, I mean, the, the really the only unforgivable thing about 
about Donald Trump is the fact that he orders well-done steaks and, and, and eats them with ketchup. Every, look, I, I'm just saying. I, I can't even come up with a rationalization for that. It's just no one's perfect. What can I tell you? No one's perfect. But Trump is back. We'll talk about his, uh, his trip to Asia in the next hour. I have some thoughts on that for you. I think you'll find. Well, here's one thing. Let me tell you why our Asia policy is doomed to, as a country, never mind the specifics of Trump, our, our Asia policy is doomed to run into contradictions. It's really a policy of contradictions. I will tell you why. you got to stay with me. And then the next hour I can get into why that is. But before I go there, let's talk about this Trump WikiLeaks stuff, right? Because this is, ooh, Trump WikiLeaks. Ooh, this is going to be so exciting. A few things about this. It's Donald Trump Jr. who is, has gotten his stuff brought into this investigation. Uh, you know, he has had his communications brought into the, uh, the Mueller probe. And he had a brief exchange with the WikiLeaks Twitter account. Th- they reported on this as though it's a big deal. Right? It's th- th- there was, oh, this must be about the Russia collusion. And here's the the sum total of what his responses were Um, in the October 3rd. This is from CNN. So there you go. Hashtag resistance. The WikiLeaks Twitter account sent a message to Trump Jr. that says, hiya, it'd be great if you guys could comment on push this story and proceeded to link a quote from Hillary Clinton suggesting a drone strike against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, according to messages shared by Trump Jr., Already did that earlier today, Trump Jr. wrote back. It's amazing what she can get away with. Trump Jr. then proceeded to inquire about a Wednesday leak. What's behind this Wednesday leak I keep uh, reading about? He wrote. Uh, that's that's it. And then also one other place they write him about his, or there's a thing about his. Well, let me make sure I get this right here because I don't want to be telling you stuff. that's not. Uh, oh, yeah. A pack run anti-Trump site. Putin's Trump.org is about to launch. The pack is a recycled pro rock war pack. We have guessed the password. See about for who is behind it. Any comments? Um, and he writes back off the record. I don't know who that is, but I'll ask around. Thanks. This isn't collusion, everybody. This isn't anything. It's not. It's not. This is not anything. Making sure. Tyrone keeps me honest in there, so he, he's not he's not giving he's not throwing a flag on this one. Not throwing a flag on this. There's nothing there, you know. Somebody could ask me any number of things, uh, and I, I would respond to them. You know, yeah, I'll ask around, or you know, I'll let you know if I hear anything. Yeah, sure. This is just the way people speak. You trying to be? It's it's a way of being polite. Yeah, sure. I'll consider that. You know, for the next five years, sure. You know, good luck. Uh, it's just it's nothing. But they know that they can hit a few points. They can hit a few parts of the of the story right up front with a headline. Donald Trump Jr. WikiLeaks communication collusion question mark. And that's all that it takes. People read the story. People will be interested in whatever it is that they're writing about. You look at these responses and there's nothing here. There's nothing here. I should also note. WikiLeaks worked with the New York Times and The Guardian as a source for major, for two of the biggest publications in the world. So WikiLeaks has worked within journalism, within the journalism community at the highest level, whether you like WikiLeaks or not, whether you think it's a, 
a uh, foreign, you know, essentially a, a foreign intelligence operation that is operating under the guise of a journalist outfit or not. Look, the truth is the New York Times, the Washington Post, they publish terrible stuff that's damaging to U.S. national security. We go up oh, they're journalists up oh, they're journalists. You know, they don't do it the same way that WikiLeaks did, but they were complicit in the WikiLeaks publications. So I'm not making excuses or or coming to a judgment about WikiLeaks one way or the other. I'm just saying that WikiLeaks has, has been involved in very mainstream journalism, as well as publishing a lot of damaging national security information about the United States to hurt the United States. I get that. But understand that. New York Times, Washington Post, they publish damaging stuff about the U.S. too. They just say, oh, no, we're being responsible about it. Bull. They publish all kinds of nonsense that is harmful, that hurts us, that uh, endangers uh, people. So uh, this is, is WikiLeaks, this is, there's a whole other debate here. Is, is WikiLeaks a, an organization that does some journalism too? Or is it, I mean, you know, if Media Matters for America can pretend to be a 501c3 or 4 or whatever it is, when it's just a political hit job against conservatism, but it's tax exempt, I think we could also have a discussion about, okay, well, what is WikiLeaks exactly? And how should one react to an approach in this way from WikiLeaks? So we will get into uh, some other issues coming up here. Let's talk about Trump's Asia trip. Stay with me. Got some calls up here, team. I want to take them, and then we'll move on to our discussion of Trump's Asia trip, the uh, after-action report for Trump in the Far East. But first, Tom in Ohio on WWVA. Hey, Tom. Yeah, good afternoon, Buck. Uh, first of all, I'm glad uh, you got your phones working good again. You know, I, I think that that is something that needs to be looked into, because I think the uh, Phone companies, for landlines at least, aren't doing any maintenance at all, and uh, uh, or very little. And I, I, I think uh, since it's still a functional system and a, a public utility, I think there needs to be a, a look into that. But anyway, going to uh, Andrew McCarthy, um, his statement about uh, Jeff uh, Sessions uh, not needing a special prosecutor because there's no conflict of interest. I think there's a definite conflict of interest in the sense that if if the if he as the part of the Republican Trump administration goes after Hillary Clinton. It's going to be screamed. The Democrats will be screaming loud and hard that it's just persecution of her by Republicans. And Trump said he wasn't going to do it and everything else. Where if, if he, if he appoints a special prosecutor, number one, there would be uh, an arm's length dis- distance between uh, the administration and the prosecutor, which I think is a good thing. And then secondly, I, I really think that Jeff Sessions ought to resign and uh, uh, run for, you know, by write-in for his old seat, because he, he in my mind, has been uh, less than uh, desirable and, and, and stellar in his performance as a, uh, uh, you know, as the attorney general. So, Tom, let's take these in reverse order. You're saying, one, Sessions should resign. You want him out. You don't think he's doing a good job. I don't think he's doing a good job, and I think that, that you know... What do you think about him as a write-in you know, for Roy, Roy Moore's, uh, well, not for, a write-in other than Roy Moore in uh, Alabama, which McConnell was floating out there today? Well, I, all I'm saying is I, I think that, that right now he would serve the Republican Party and conservatism better by assuring his uh, old seat you know, is intact as a vote in that direction, as opposed to the possibility of losing it to the Democrats. 
Yeah, and, and okay. So, and you also think that on on the first point that there should be a special prosecutor looking into uranium one, Hillary, and all that stuff. Only because the the Democrats are going to say, you know, we're looking at a former first lady. Now that you know, we're not talking about just a regular politician here, and we're talking about who's someone who's been you know at the, in a limelight and high up in the Democrat Party for decades. Yeah, she's super famous and very influential, though much less so now than she used to be. Right. And all I'm saying is that I think those things combined would not do justice in the reverse sense. In other words, I think she'd be able to walk. Okay. All right. All right, Tom. Thank you for calling in from Ohio, my friend. Uh, Evelyn, North Carolina, WPTI. Hey, Evelyn. Hi, Buck. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good to hear from you, madam. What's on your mind? Uh, Well, I, I know you're in New York. I'm in North Carolina. Yesterday... The Young Republicans Club invited Dr. Gorka to speak uh, at UNC, the University of Chapel Hill, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't political. He wasn't, you know, the purpose was not to become political. It was to discuss what was happening, uh, you know, in Asia and other uh, places where President Trump is trying to you know, have some compromises done. Well, those college students were so disrespectful. They had signs, Gorka, go away, Gorka, go home. And it occurred to me when I was growing up, respect teaching started at the home level. And obviously, from the way that these college students are acting, it's not happening. And I was thinking a good idea would be for all schools in this country to start at the first grade level and just have little sessions about just getting along with with others, you know, being a good friend. Yeah, it would be nice if they if they taught if they taught uh, manners, honor, and responsibility in school. I, I know they do right? it in some schools, but I don't think that's a part of your standard uh, Department of Education approved public school curriculum. So. I hear you, Evelyn. Thank you so much for calling in. Always good to uh, have uh, have you weigh in, Doctor Gorka. They're getting Doctor Gorka would melt all the snowflakes, though you cannot stop the Gorka. You can only hope to contain him. Right? Exactly. I'm not worried about Gorka. He can handle. It. He can handle himself. He's good to go. Um, so, okay, Trump Asia trip. Let's get into it here. Here is what Trump said about it. He's back now. Here's what he said. I think we made a lot of progress just in terms of relationship. Uh, We actually sold $300 million worth of equipment and other things. Uh, And I think that number is going to be quadrupled very quickly. So that's over a trillion dollars worth of stuff. I think we have done uh, a really fantastic job. It's been a great trip. Uh, It's also been really good in terms of North Korea and getting everybody together. I think they're China has been excellent. Uh, Japan and South Korea have been excellent. I think that's a very important part of the trip. And the other important part to me was trade uh, and relationship. So here's the problem that's at the heart of a lot of what we're trying to do when it comes to U.S. policy in Asia right now. There there are a couple of things that, that immediately come to mind. One has to do with North Korea. And then the other one has to do more just specifically with China. 
Um, so North Korea is the biggest national security threat we're dealing with in East Asia right now. Long term, China is going to be a very, very uh, big problem for us. Most likely. Who knows, right? In 20 years. There was a time, and I, in fact, remember some movies and there was some literature. There's even a Michael Crichton novel called Rising Sun that was really a, a part of this panic that Japan in the 80s and in the 90s was going to just economically way outpace us and that the Japanese were essentially going to own huge parts of America and there's nothing we can do. And there was all this. This fear, and then Japan had its demographic, uh, its demographic slowdown, and has had very slow growth, and all all, all kinds of problems. The, uh, Japan's had all kinds of problems. Um, so that now should be kept in mind when we're thinking about China and what the next steps will be in the future. Decades down the line with China, we we just don't. No one can see the future, and don't believe anyone who says they can. Um, so the problem we have with North Korea is that we want something different. Everyone keeps saying China. Use China as leverage. We want a different end state for North Korea than the Chinese do. And so there's only so much pressure we can apply to China, and there's only so much pressure China is willing to apply to North Korea. The only way the North Korean nuclear missile threat goes away, as I see it, is an implosion of the regime. Not explosions from the sky, but implosion from within the imperial palace, so to speak. Right? This has to be a a regime change, and that's a nice way of saying probably a coup. And Kim Jong Un, I don't know what happens to him, but he's not in charge anymore. That much would have to be clear. And for that to occur, there would be the likelihood of a massive migrant surge towards immigrant surge towards china from north korea they would have a refugee crisis on their hands on top of that if north and south korea were united with a south korean style i mean no one really knows what this would look like right because it's so far away so i I, this is in a sense you know this is looking at at a future scenario that is so many steps down the line, it's very, very difficult to know what's realistic and what's not. But if there were, if, if, if the Kim regime fell in North Korea, you'd have a massive refugee crisis for China. And the border between China and North Korea, there's plenty of way people get across. And there's a lot of Korean speakers on the Chinese side of that border. And it's just not, not something where they could completely seal it off. It just wouldn't work. And, and they would have a humanitarian crisis on their hands as well as everything else. And then you have, they don't want South Korea to be the, the, the Korea, as in a pro-U.S. Western democracy that's incredibly prosperous, that has a lot of economic freedom, and in which we could, uh, in which we could um, put missiles, put military, more, we already have military forces there, but, we could put even more. So that, that's just an unacceptable state of affairs. China. So the only thing that I think we can do or the only scenario in which North Korea no longer has nuclear weapons that I can think of that's realistic is a scenario that China wants to avoid at all costs. So when we keep saying pressure China, this is the this is the contradiction. This is the push pull, the difficulty that we face in dealing with this. 
and then on a, on a so that's with North Korea. And I think you got to remember that all the time when people are like, oh, we'll do this on North Korea. We'll pressure China. Pressuring China sounds good, but it's a little more it's a little more complicated than that in terms of what it can do with North Korea. And then you have Trump with these meetings with the leadership in Vietnam, the Philippines and other places. As well as China, right? He's met, met with Chinese leadership, Xi Jinping. So we would like better relations, better trade relations with China, and and we're ha- and Trump was having meetings to that effect. That's great. An issue, though, comes up, and here's the issue. We are also meeting with these other countries. Some people call them the littoral, what, L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L, states of East Asia, the island nations that, that as well as the peninsula of South Korea, uh, but they are a buffer as well as really a containment. They are our allies, and we are trying to strengthen them even more as containment to balance China, to limit its uh, aggressions, to limit its territorial expansion, its expansion as a, a blue water navy, its seizure of the South China Sea, all of that. We are relying on a on a coalition of sorts. It's almost like East Asia NATO, although different, but East Asia NATO, think of it that way. Philippines, uh, Japan, South Korea, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Indonesia. But these are all countries that we are hoping, I mean, Japan is at the very center of this. We are hoping they will box China in. So we have our leadership going over there saying, hey, China, let's be let's agree on trade. Let's be better friends. Let's work on all these different issues. Meanwhile, we're also strengthening ties. Uh, oh, and, and Taiwan also factors into this, I should note. We're also strengthening ties with all of these different countries that are regional competitors to China and already have disputes with regard to these Different island chains, the Spratly and the Paracel and all these different in the East China Sea and the South China Sea. Um, but those are parts of uh, th- those are parts of this puzzle that you have to keep in mind here, because on the one hand, we're saying we want warmer relations with China. We want things to be great. And everything. On the other hand, we're like, hey, guys, we all need to make sure that we're on the same page here, which is that we don't want China getting getting too too big, too powerful, too assertive. We're hoping you're going to push back on that. Now, I'm not saying this isn't good policy. I think it is. But it just goes to show you that there is a, a contradiction that is inherent in U.S. Rela- the U.S. relationship with China. Look, at the end of the day, they are our only near-peer competitor on the global stage. Right? Russia is not there yet. Russia still has a lot of nukes, but Russia's population, its economy, it's just not a realistic uh, opposition or a realistic opponent for the mantle of of first power, first world power of, well, global power, the champion. Uh, China views itself in those terms very explicitly, very obviously. And so we should pay attention to what's realistic in dealing with China and what's not uh, going out in, into the future. And, and they're quite aware of the fact that we are buddies with all these different countries that are there natural competitors shall we say regional competitors uh, so that's a tension that exists in all of our relations with china never on the whole trade issue as well as all the cyber stuff which is much worse than most people realize 
because the government doesn't want us. If the government, if we knew how bad the Chinese cyber stuff really was, if the American people really knew the full extent of it, I, it is my belief, it's not an area that I work in the government, but it is my belief that we would be outraged. And so there's a, there's an incentive in the government not letting us know just how bad things have gotten. So that's my, those are my broad thoughts, broad spectrum thoughts on what's going on here with Trump's Asia trip. North Korea, top of the list. Trade with China, number two. Keep all those things I said in mind going forward. And with that, we will uh, bust into a break here. Later on, we're going to have Lucian Wintrich join us, who's going to talk about his planned speech for a college, for a few colleges, I think, coming up here. The title of his speech was going to be, It's Okay to be White. And that caused some problems. Uh, We'll have him joining in just a little bit, as well as uh, some other stuff to talk about. So stay with me. Just wanted to bring to you the uh, breaking news. It happened, I think, early on when we were on air here that Roy Moore has lost his RNC fundraising support. So as of today, uh, the RNC says they will no longer fundraise for Roy Moore. Ted Cruz wanted his name removed from Roy Moore's fundraising and also released a statement uh, saying that he you know, is no longer going to be affiliated in any way with anything having to do with Roy Moore. Paul Ryan, I believe, said, didn't, was it Paul Ryan that had said that he believes the accusers and thinks that Roy Moore should, should step aside? I think I saw that. I watch a lot of a lot of news conferences, so it's tough to keep it all straight. Uh, but that is uh, that. It, and and, and McConnell, McConnell said it, too. Yeah, we knew McConnell was saying it. But now Paul Ryan's also come out and said it. And there's this idea of a kind of a switch of taking Jeff Sessions, a third-party candidate, and doing a write-in against Roy Moore, which I should note, I think that probably, just from a, from a political prognostication perspective, pardon the alliteration. Wow, that just went four there. That was, I just went wild with the alliteration. But from, a, from guessing how this will turn out politically, I think if you have a third-party candidate you will have um, you will have a situation where uh, the, the Democrat wins just because you'll split the vote. That's what I think. Because there'll be people who vote for Roy Moore, I think plenty of them, uh, no matter what, because I don't believe it, right? So if you have a third party, or not a third party, pardon me, if you have a write-in candidate option, you're just going to give the Democrat a better chance of winning. But we'll see. We'll see how this all plays out. It is change that storyline changing every day. One other thing uh, that I don't have too much time to get into here. We will talk about some of the le- most recent, just terrible uh, accusations of sexual assault that are out there. I call it purging the purging the perverts. That's what's happening. All these, you know, you get these TV executives and movie producers and movie directors and movie actors and uh, editors in chief of magazines. And you know, I mean. In all of that, I've been wondering uh, when it would start to break a little more about the harassment that goes on in, in D.C. specifically, the political, uh, the political situation in, or the uh, sexual harassment situation in our nation's capital. Because looking at what the what the precursors are here for. You know, these incidents, right? Men with power, they abuse the power. Uh, There's a lot of that in D.C. They're also away from, for the most part, a lot of them are away from their families. 
uh, you know, talking about members of Congress here. There's definitely there's definitely harassment that goes on in D.C. And given the kinds of story, I mean, people are going way back in time to get some of these stories out there. I just wonder when this will uh, when it will break, when that dam will break, because I can tell you there's you can just assume there. I mean, like Bill Clinton, you think about some of the stuff that's gone on, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, all of it in the past in D.C., very high profile cases. The Hill has a piece up. Lawmakers describe pervasive sexual harassment on Capitol Hill. Ah, uh, yeah. I can ima- I, I can assume and imagine that that is going on. I'm just wondering who will be the first target uh, of the media's ire. Who, who will they make the first example of when it comes to an elected official or, or a very high-level appointed official in D.C. who has a habit of saying stuff, grabbing at people, etc., etc. That's coming. That's going to happen soon. You mark my words. Be right back. Basketball players, by the way, I know a lot of people are asking. Uh, I will tell you when I heard about it two days ago, I had a great conversation with President Xi. What they did was unfortunate. Uh, you know, you're talking about very long prison sentences. They do not play games. Uh, he was terrific, and they're working on it right now, and uh, hopefully everything's going to work out. So a couple of UCLA uh, athletes got caught allegedly shoplifting in China, and it has gone all the way up to the level of the president of the United States speaking to the premier of China, Xi Jinping, about this. Uh, Tyrone, what's the latest? Apparently, they'll be headed home at some point today. They may already be headed home, and they're just not going to go back to China. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Now, what limits them, though, is none, none of the three are considered top flight NBA prospects. There's a lot of money to be made playing professional basketball in China. Oh, okay. So there actually will be a long-term repercussion from this because most likely they were all long-term headed to China, but they do have a college scholarship. Hopefully they study hard and do something. And Didn't Stefan Marbury go there and turned into like, is he still there? He's still there. And they love him, right? I uh, mean, he's like... Some names, if people are out there, Jimmer Fredet who played for the Knicks, he's there. He scores 60 points a game. Uh. Like, so there's money to be made there. And that is probably not in the future of these three. The most famous one being Leangelo Ball of the famous Ball family. Ah, okay. All right. Fair enough. So also a couple other big stories uh, involving sports, politics, and everything else right now. Let's talk about, I mean, look, GQ magazine. I think a lot of people are like, I don't even know it was still a thing. It's still out there, though. It's still a magazine. It has a name. I mean, you know, print magazines are in their death throes right now. It's all all gone online, and that's where it's all going to be. But you have GQ magazine putting Colin Kaepernick as man of the year. And a lot of folks are saying, hold on a second. J.J. Watt raises how how much was it? Thirty thirty seven million dollars. Thirty seven million dollars for hurricane victims in Texas. uh, Hurricane Harvey victims. And Colin Kaepernick is man of the year. What do we think about this? Well, so so. I can go both ways on this. Okay, I, I give, un- give me both ways. Okay, the one thing is um, he didn't do an interview for this. Other people spoke on his behalf. The There was a, a big rally in Philadelphia yesterday for rapper Meek Mill about justice, basically uh, the justice system not being fair. And I think there is some value, despite the people not liking his method, there is some value that there are now real tangible conversations happening 
mainly because he chose to kneel. I think that's fair to say on, on the one hand. On the other hand, he hasn't said a word in the last year. So it's, it's tough, but for being, an Af- being a black person, those conversations are conversations I've always wanted to have. He's not the perfect messenger for those issues, but I'm glad those issues are being. I will say about. I like that. I saw there were some uh, there were some cases where NFL players. I, I think this is what was going. NFL players were were meeting with local law enforcement to discuss issues. They are, and I'm all for that. I, I think that sends a great message on a, on a bunch of levels too, because I think that a lot of young, predominantly African American. Uh, men in certain neighborhoods in the city obviously look up to NFL players as 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 heroes or just as, as people of uh, you know people of influence uh, for in, in a bunch of different ways, and that they the, them having a conversation with law enforcement that's supposed to be that is to be constructive, I think shows a lot of other people. Okay, if you want to deal with this constructively, approaching this is the way to go, and there is a conversation to be had. Yes, that that's been um, very positive, and it's also some teams, some teams of now who are making billions of dollars still, despite the quote unquote, you know, fall and the demise of the league. They're printing money, yet they would take no interest in the city in which they make all that money. And now some of them are now having to take responsibility. If you're in, if you're the Chicago Bears, you should care that there's that many murders in your city. It should you make your money there. You became a billionaire in that city. You should care that people are getting gunned down nonstop, and now some of them are now taking responsibility in some way. So while he's a bad messenger, the message, I think, is starting to become more clear. The other part is, I am not sure at the time, initially, whatever the message was, whatever the the, the protest was, I do not believe it would have been popular at first, no matter what it was. Because history says, when black people in America, to this point, maybe it'll change going forward, protest, generally people at first don't like it. And then like even Martin Luther King, like studies show 60% of people at the time were like, what is he doing talking about I have a dream? Like then, so, and then later on, obviously, so he's not Martin Luther King, but. So the, the, the Kaepernick, uh, the Kaepernick saga continues and he's now GQ's man of the year. Uh, certainly a whole lot less objectionable than when Rolling Stone put, uh, was it Jahar Sarnayev on the cover? Uh. Right. And, and just to be clear, and I'm not some big Colin Kaepernick fan. My main point is he didn't break any laws. So there are worse people who have been. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's oh, yeah. what I meant. He's <laughs> not, not, not even close. Yeah. And Rolling Stone was just was just trolling the whole country. It's just wildly irresponsible. And, right. you know, I'm, I think that UVA fraternity sued them. I wonder how I forget how that turned out. Uh, but, all right, but one more thing I wanted to get into. We only got a few minutes here. Um, Roger Goodell. How is it that you can be the NFL commissioner and and make the kind of demands that he's making when you and I both know Tyrone? I don't know that much about the NFL. I certainly don't know much about what goes on in NFL offices, the back office. But a lot of people could do that commissioner job probably for a whole lot less money and maybe even better. See, I agree with you with absolutely on the first two parts. The better part is it's hard to be an empty suit. Wait, wait, hold, wait, wait, hold. Before we get an empty suit, what are his demands? His demands. $50 million. So this is what's funny. $50 million, so dollars, It gets released that he asked for $50 million, and his publicist comes out and says, no, it was $49.75 million, not 50 Oh, it's like it's like you're buying a house. You know, you're buying it for, you know, 499000 not yeah. half a million. That's scary. Right. Then a private jet for life, health insurance for him and his children for life, 
and assorted other perks that he wants from the league. So $50 million a year, private jet use for life, and health insurance for him and his kids for life. All right, now, so tell me, what's the, so you were saying that to be an empty, to be such a, uh, such a competent incompetent, to be such a good empty suit is what? It's difficult. You, you Buck Sexton, who's a man of many talents, could not be NFL commissioner because, <laughs> and I, was, I beg to differ, no, I'm kidding, go ahead. So 32 billionaires would come to you, and they would tell you that the guy who made $400,000 shouldn't be able to wear blue socks. And you would say, why do I care about this? And, you, and they would say, because I said so. You say, but seriously, guys, do I really want to die on this hill of blue, no blue socks? Yes. All he does is answer to the owners. That's all he does. That's why he has such a bad relationship with the players. That's why he can't stop them from kneeling. That's why, because again, Silver in the NBA did not have to make a rule. He just called him and said, hey, guys, um, don't kneel. And the guy said, okay. And they yeah, stood. Yeah. He, all he does is just whatever the owners tell him, he blindly does it. He's an empty suit. The players have already said, when the collective bargain agreement's up in 2021, no matter what you offer, if this guy's in charge, we're, we're gonna, it's going to be a strike or a lock. You're going to have to lock us out. We're not signing a new deal. We don't like this guy. But oh, really? Have, I didn't know that. They already said that. 2021. These are players who usually only think about the next day because NFL careers are so short. They've already said, 2021, yeah, no, it's, it's a labor stoppage. We're not dealing with this guy. But he does whatever the owners tell him to do. And while he has no skill at all, that is a skill, and he's done that better than anybody else that's ever been in that position. And the league, up until this year, was making record amount of money. All right. Thank you, Tyrone. Uh, wow. $50, 50 million. Oh. I mean, you think about what, you know, sometimes you'll see this CEO, you know, CEO compensation for different companies, and it'll be really high, right? But, you know, uh, even for pretty major companies, CEOs will get paid half a million, a million, and then there's usually bonuses, incentives, stock, all that stuff, too, and but I mean, if just like guarantee fifty fifty million dollars. That's that's a lot of money. I mean, look, the NFL is a money making machine. Maybe a little less so now, but as Tyrone points out, it's still a very very profitable, a very very profitable uh, enterprise. We got Lucian Wintrich joining us here to talk about his uh, upcoming planned speech. Is it okay to be white? Uh, you can imagine that this has caused some issues. We'll talk to him in just a few. Stay with me. Oh, the campus speech wars continue, my friends. Uh, we have a guest now with us who is in the midst of his own campus speech battle. Lucian Wintrich joins us. He is the White House correspondent for the Gateway Pundit. He was planning to go give a speech at UMass Boston, and it's supposed to be was supposed to be this Friday, but there's a little bit of a problem with it, uh, and he will tell us about it now. Lucian, great to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, so what was the title of the speech you planned to give at the University of Massachusetts? <laughs> so the, the title of the speech was uh, simply, It's Okay to Be White, which, um, first of all, uh, you know, this whole thing, It's Okay to Be White, that slogan, it started off, uh, or it was started by the geniuses over at 4chan, who theorized that the left is so reactionary, so insane, that you can't even say in America that it's all right if you're white. You, can, you can't uh, make such an innocuous statement. Um, and they were right. Um, the the uh, backlash that, that that slogan has had, uh, not only in this country, but in Canada, is astonishing. You know, at the University of Alberta, um, the president uh, over there, he called it an incident of racism and promised to investigate oh racism. Gosh. I mean, what, what could be more anti-racist? 
than than this slogan. Uh, he he claimed that it targets and marginalizes individuals and groups. How? <laughs> Like, right. The, the title was not it's better to be white or you should yeah. be white or no. The title is it's OK, <laughs> meaning it is not a problem <laughs> to be white. And there is a problem with you saying that, apparently. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it really is astonishing. I mean, obviously, the pushback against the slogan, it, it seems to imply that the left thinks that it's not all right. It's not OK to be black or to be to be white. Um, I, I mean, again, just uh so it's very, very frustrating. This, this upcoming week, the speech that I was set to give, it really did just examine the, the current cultural climate that we're dealing with in America right now, where the left is so reactionary, where the left is so quick to, to not only disparage people, but, but uh, uh, call, call uh, innocuous um, slogans like this racist. And... Uh, Lo and behold, of course, the, the university at the very last minute, they're claiming that there are security concerns. It's, uh, it's <laughs> an insecure environment um, there. Uh, <laughs> uh, and wh- what did they do? They pushed, it, they pushed it to three months from now. They need, they need a total of three months to prepare for, for a speech about uh, uh, culture and politics in America. Did you have professors that were banding together and, and, and prepared to like write you know angry letters to the student paper and everything else because of this speech? Or did you get, I mean, give me the full, obviously there's opposition to this, but where did you see the opposition coming from? Because I'm curious what the, see, see with, with All Lives Matter, right? Which th- this kind of right. reminds me of the All Lives Matter situation where it's hard to think of a more, innocuous phrase or or more phrase a phrase that should have more unilateral and, and universal buy i'm sorry universal not unilateral universal buy-in than all lives matter but they say well it's you know i've heard the argument it's like showing up at a funeral and saying well what about my uncle who died last week right they're saying that it's it diverts attention okay whether you believe that or not i can't even think of what the objection is to it's okay to be white i mean like well, what is the objection well, you know, they're, they're trying to, I don't think it aligns with their uh, game of intersectionality and multiculturalist politics. Um, I think that, but, 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 but if your speech out. is a problem, Lucian, isn't it fair to say that they're saying that it's actually not okay to be white then? Oh, yeah, yeah according, uh, right now, according to the University of Massachusetts, Boston, it is not okay to be white. Um, or I guess it's okay three months from now after they prepare for it. What kind of preparations are we talking about? I will tell you that having gone to Amherst College, we had UMass Amherst just down the street, and it, it, it did get rowdy. So you know, be, you know, be careful. Be careful when you have this speech because you know the Patriots would win. They'd light stuff on fire and flip over cars. The Patriots would lose. They'd light stuff on fire and flip over cars. You know, there should have been a little more studying going on down there. Sometimes I think. You know, it, it really is astonishing. You know, back when I went to uh, to Bard uh, Bard College in upstate New York, I remember once the the dean of multicultural affairs she called me into her office, and uh, I was accused of um, I guess racial insensitivity. I had a radio show on the, on campus at the time, and I had played a rap song, and she explained to me that white people can't play rap music because it wasn't written for us. Um, <laughs> And I, at the time, you know, it was, to be honest, it was a very racist thing. Wow, she was saying that rap music for you to play it was cultural appropriation. Yeah, yeah, just to play it, just to enjoy it. Um, And I, at the time, I said, you know what, this is a crazy, weird environment. I think uh, uh, in a couple years after I graduate, 
uh, the nation will grow out of this. Uh, universities will realize how silly and racist they're, they're being and pushing these, these sort of arbitrary uh, notions. And lo- no, it's gotten worse. It's just gotten worse. I remember when I was on campus and what's being said now, Lucian, and it's gotten crazier, which I didn't think was possible at the time. It's wild. I mean, it's, it's uh, taken a spiral at this point where, where, again, you can't even say that it's okay to be white. You can't even say it's all right. If you're white, it's all right. If you're black, it's all right, whatever you are. Um, because that's, that's considered... I, you know, I think you should try, for, for your next speech, Lucian, I think you should try, it's okay to be any ethnicity, comma, including white, and see if that, <laughs> and see if that gets through the censors on campus. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, yeah, we'll definitely have to keep playing around with subsequent titles. Are, are you planning more of these, by the way? This is an interesting campus free speech experiment. Yeah, you know, I um, I am actually going to be, I haven't officially announced this yet, but I was just booked to speak at University of Connecticut on the uh, 20, on the 28th, Tuesday, the 28th of November. So um, that's, yeah, that's going to be the next, uh, next speech. Is, is this uh, through college Republicans? I mean, who are the rabble rousers that are bringing Lucian Wintrich of the Gateway Pundit to their <laughs> campus? So... Yeah, at, at uh, UConn, it is the it is the College Republicans. So uh, I'm thrilled that they are that they're standing up for free speech. That they're going to have me on. I think it's going to be a wonderful uh, wonderful talk. Uh, most likely, it, it, it is going to be very similar because I didn't get to give this speech uh, at UMass. So I'm going to borrow parts of this. But you know, the the news cycle we're working in, you have to keep you have to keep shifting around concepts here, so it's relevant. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, anybody in the in the Connecticut area um, is welcome. I believe it will be uh, open admission. All right, well, uh, Lucian, like let us people. know. Let us know before these happen, and we're definitely going to want an, an after action report from you uh, from you after you've been to some of these campuses because I have a feeling there'll be a lot of uh, you know zoo noises during your speech. You know, uh, <laughs> screaming. Uh, yelling, maybe some uh, what are the air horns and these sort of things. So we'll want to know how it how it goes down. Keep an eye out for Antifa. You got You got to be able to see him coming. And uh, Lucian, everyone should go check out his stuff at the Gateway Pundit. Mister Wintridge, great to have you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Nice um, all right, team. We're going to come back into the show in just a few minutes. We're talking to Emily Zanotti about what I'm calling the purge of the perverts. So many sexual harassment allegations and. The, the level of of depravity that we've already read about, and there's just more and more, it, it's truly, it is truly astonishing. It's uh, hard to, to fathom how this was going on, and, and not not just Harvey Weinstein, there's so much else, and we'll tell you the latest, the latest incidents in the next hour, and then also I'll tell you about uh, the, an update on the woman who gave the middle finger to the president's motorcade. Uh, what happened with her? Here's a hint. The left took care of her. Um, and also uh, some Team Buck Speaks, which I'm very much looking forward to. So we'll get into that and uh, much more coming up right after this break. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, also, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Please follow me there and send me messages about the show. Always appreciate it. I read them all. So send them and I'll be right back. The purge of perverts continues in Hollywood and in the uh, broader media. You have new allegations out there, more people getting fired and just more really disturbing stuff uh, getting splashed into the uh, the headlines here. 
So we've got Emily Zanotti joining us now. She is a writer for The Daily Wire. I also got to meet Emily at a media panel this past weekend in Chicago, which, other than being cold, was a great time. Emily, great to see you. Great to be here. And actually, this time around, although we're only talking, I did actually get to see you, which was which was super fun. Yeah. And we, we we had a we had a good awesome. chat. I thought on that panel, we're dro- dropping bombs about the Clinton Foundation. But it was I, true. It was true. But I digress. All right, let's get into this. Uh, so today, uh, we have the actor. This is the the latest that I see here. And I think did you write about this in the Daily Wire? Actor Tom Sizemore was removed from a movie set after allegedly violating an 11-year-old actress on the movie. What the heck is going on here? Yeah, so this has actually been my beat, this Hollywood pervert beat for the last six weeks, and I'm ready to just burn it down. This is the worst, though. Tom Sizemore, who's sort of a B-list actor, he appears sort of in the background of various action movies, kind of a big burly action guy. He was filming a movie called Born Killers, not Natural Born Killers, and he was filming a scene where a young girl had to sit on his lap at like a holiday dinner. And apparently, as she was sitting on his lap, he slid his hand down between her legs and oh my did, of course, God. horrifying things. Um, and then he, the girl didn't tell her parents, she was only 11 years old at the time, she didn't tell her parents until the next day that this had happened. The producers and directors on the film moved immediately, they got him off the set, they actually encouraged the parents to file a police report. Nothing eventually happened, but this is just absolutely horrifying that these claims actually keep getting worse every time a new actor comes into one of these allegations. I, I, I just... It's it's hard to 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 fathom. I mean, I I know somebody told me that with the size. I'd actually I didn't know the details until you told me them just now. But I did see a headline somewhere about how the rest of the cast or some of the other uh, some of the other cast members, uh, some of the male cast members, w- wanted to uh, basically pound his face in after they yeah. heard about this, and that the director had to. So and now having heard what the actual allegations are specifically, I completely understand and and, and agree with the sentiment from these yeah. actors that they want to just beat the crap out of this guy. Uh, how does this not get? I mean, I, I feel like this is something that would get out there. I mean, you know, Sizemore is not Weinstein, so do we have any sense of right. why this didn't? Why this wasn't known? I guess these allegations have been floating around, but no one sort of connected it to a larger situation after 2002 and in in terms of Tom Sizemore it actually was one of the like sort of lesser things that he did at the time he had actually just gotten out of jail for beating up his girlfriend Heidi Fleiss the Hollywood madam so he was just a headline grabbing guy now the girl's parents decided they didn't want to pursue charges in this instance largely because they couldn't prove it happened other than what the girl said and on camera it didn't look like he did anything wrong but also because they didn't want to ruin this little girl's acting career. And they thought that actually calling out an actor for doing something disgusting was going to have an impact on this poor little girl's acting career. And we find that over and over and over again in these stories that people just didn't come forward because they thought they would never work again. If I were if I were that little girl's father or brother or family member or friend, uh, I, I think that I, I don't know how I'd get around violence in response to this. No, all. I, 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 don't, no I don't know. Idea. I mean, and, and by the way, if I were sitting on the jury of the father or brother after he took it into his uh, took the law into his own hands, I'd be like, you know what? I think we're going to we're going to go off the books on this one. I don't 
I don't think there's going to yeah. be a guilty verdict. So anyway, I, I'm that's among and it's hard these days to get attention for being the most appalling, Emily. Uh, right. But this guy is certainly at the <laughs> at the top of the list. Wow. Um, I, I saw something keeps getting worse. Yeah, it keeps getting worse. I, I saw something about. Uh, Ariana Huffington ignoring, and this is a separate story, everybody, but this is, again, in the sexual harassment allegations, ignoring uh, HuffPost sexual harassment or something. Can you give us any updates on that, or is that still just breaking? That's actually just breaking. I don't really know how much more I'll be able to offer from now, but she's obviously the former managing editor of the Huffington Post. While she was at the head of the Huffington Post, apparently a multiple number, a number of women came to Ariana Huffington and to the HR department at the Huffington Post and said that they had been sexually harassed by an editor who was working there. Now, the Huffington Post did very little. They transferred the editor, but he then continued to sexually harass women in his workplace. And allegedly, as far as we know from what these women have now told, they she really just didn't do anything. She fostered an environment that encouraged this sort of behavior and looked the other way, and now she's definitely in the crosshairs. We're speaking to Emily Zanotti of The Daily Wire. You can read her latest at thedailywire.com. We only had a couple minutes, Emily, but what's this about Hollywood ignoring a wave of sexual harassment allegations at the first Oscar party? Yeah, so we're starting to come into Oscar season. We're starting to come into all of these award shows. I'm going to have the Golden Globes and the Oscars coming up here. The very first Oscar honorary statuettes were issued this last weekend. A-list stars were there. Plenty of people. Harvey Weinstein would have been there. Has he not been in sort of inpatient sex therapy in Arizona? Nobody said anything. It was an untelevised event. The issues were completely unmentioned. So it's kind of interesting that Hollywood loves to talk about how nice they are and how amazing they are and how they're really cleaning up their act. But when they're out of the public eye, they don't even say anything to each other about it. Emily, do you have any sense as to whether or, or are there um, updates coming on Weinstein's uh, case, by the way? Is that happening soon? Or, or I mean, I, I feel like at this point, there's just we know that every day there'll be more of these allegations. And in some cases, mm-hmm. like Louis C.K., admissions. Do you have right. anything, anything you're expecting to break soon or anything we should be on the lookout for? Because it seems like every day now. So Weinstein has reportedly been asked to meet with the LAPD and the New York City Police Department. Both of them are pursuing open cases, as is Scotland Yard in London. So we're expecting that either the New York Police Department or the LAPD will come down with an indictment here in the next couple of weeks. The New York Police Department says they want to take potential charges against Harvey Weinstein to a grand jury before they actually issue the indictment. So we're expecting potentially Harvey Weinstein to be arrested, but it's it's still up in the air and could be a couple weeks yet before we find out about that. Emily Zanotti, everybody. She is at The Daily Wire. You can read her latest pieces at thedailywire.com. Emily, great to have you on the show, and uh, great to finally get a chance to work with you out in uh, Chicago. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Okay, team, we are going to be uh, rolling into a break here in a moment. I've got a few stories I want to talk to you about. One is the woman who gave the finger to the president's motorcade. She got a lot of money. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that. Also, a guy who has an emotional support squirrel. I actually support him and his emotional support squirrel. And then I'll give you the dachshund story part two. So it's going to be a fun rest of our. We'll be right back. 
What do you think the most money you could get for an obscene gesture towards a presidential motorcade could be? I'm just, I'm just wondering. You know, throw out some numbers as I'm talking to you here, because I can tell you that I never thought that the woman who gave the middle finger to a presidential motorcade would, in fact, find herself the new recipient of, as of I go as of this broadcast, ninety thousand dollars in cash. Julie Briskman was the woman who, I think in, it was a D.C. suburb, I can't remember if it was Maryland or Virginia, it all blurs in my mind, having spent far too much time in both places. She got fired because she stuck her middle finger up at the president's passing motorcade and the photo went viral. She was on a bicycle, I describe this to you. And and I have to say that I'm a, I'm a little bit... Uh, chastened here. You know, I, I, I may have read this one a little wrong because what I said was at the time that while an obscene gesture towards a presidential motorcade is not cool, it's not something that it's legal, keeping, as I said, but it's not cool. It's it lacks uh, decorum. It lacks uh, class. And it's just a an unseemly thing to do, a disrespectful thing to do. I also felt like I, I wish we live in a country where everything wasn't not just political, but also you could be held responsible for political opinions and that we wouldn't be in a country where people would get fired for this kind of stuff. It would just be, you know, we would live and let live politically. Now, I know that's fantasy land stuff. That's nonsense. And I said so at the time, but I just I wish that we could get away with having our opinions and. Uh, showing our displeasure with government on our private time uh, without fear of retribution. I've always understood and have said many times on this show that you will have far uh, greater, you, you operate under far greater peril if you're a conservative, if you are right of center when it comes to expressing your politics in, in not even in the workplace, but that too, but also just in your day-to-day life because liberals feel a righteousness and a they have an authority a, a petty authoritarian streak and this is why you know the people that tell you eh, why aren't you recycling or eh, why are you taking that big car that guzzles all that gas to work it's always liberals right their their snowflakeism on the one hand means that they are constantly offended but it also means that they take offense on behalf of others and that gives them license in their minds to nag you about nonsense. But that's that's beside the point for the moment, because here we have this woman who got fired and she's a she's a single mom, I think, of two. And I felt a little a little bad for her in the sense that, you know, she probably didn't think she was going to lose her job because she, you know, did this. She she flipped the bird to the president, so to speak, or his motorcade. And like I said, disrespectful and gross, but now she's fired and, you know, the kids don't have. Well, turns out, as I have said to you so many times on the show, the left takes care of its own. She's got almost one hundred thousand dollars of cash raised. Now, I I think she was some form of of contractor. I forget what she was doing, but I know what people in the D.C. area make, give or take. And I'm guessing this was close to 
her full. I mean, I'm guessing it's close to I don't know what this woman was making close to her full salary. So, yeah, she may have gotten fired. But because Democrats and the left understand that there is a uh, a an advantage to always taking care of those who politicize everything, there's an advantage to letting everyone know that even when you go too far and this woman went too far, if you do it for the left, if you do it as part of the progressive cause, there will be jobs waiting for you. There will be books. There will be speaking engagements. Conservatives just don't get this. They, they don't understand this the same way. Uh, our political machinery and, and our ideological uh, I don't I don't know. I even really know how to describe this other than just people on the right don't take care of their own the same way. They just don't. Uh, you will not see this. Ha- now, yes, when a girl's uh, I remember when I was on working at the blaze, Glenn had a, there was a girl who was selling I, for Christmas wreaths, I think, in the park or something. And you know, conservatives see injustice and they ended up buying all of her wreaths because she got shut down by the city authorities. Sure. Conservatives see injustice and they step in. And that's how that little girl from I think it was Seattle ended up making thirty thousand dollars off of Christmas wreaths you know, online. Uh, but when it comes to people that get fired or, or it comes to somebody who suffers adverse consequences for their political beliefs, we don't we, we just don't do what they do. The other side, which is, oh, OK, you got you took a hit for our cause. We're going to show everybody that we will make sure you're OK because we want other people we want everybody, the left says, to be disrespectful to the president. We want everybody to take every opportunity to be nasty and terrible to this president. So a follow up story that extending the middle finger to the motorcade got this woman close. To, it'll be a hundred grand, I'm sure, by you know the end of the week. hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And someone's going to hire her now, of course, too. I mean, we, we know that. Right. She'll get picked up by some organization that's run by Democrats. Plenty of those with lots of money out there. So she's going to be just fine. This is one of my weaknesses, everyone. I'm I'm too much of a softy. I my first impulse is is sympathy for people that are going through a tough situation. And, I, you know, maybe I need to be a little more roll up the sleeves, crack the knuckles. And, you know, there's going to there's going to be casualties in this political fight, my friends. I should just accept that. Uh, but I, I feel bad, especially when they're kids. And, you know, I was worried that they their mom wouldn't have a paycheck to, anyway. But she's fine. She's just fine. I also wanted to throw in to the mix here. And this is a, an abrupt turn in the middle of a segment. But I, I just saw this story and and it resonated with me. I'll share some occasionally some uh, some unusual stuff about myself. And, you know, I, I've always thought that it would be really cool to have an unusual pet. Um, I, I've always thought that it, and I'll, I'm going to follow up on the dachshund story later. I've got a follow up to that just as an aside. But I've always thought it'd be cool that, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I was in college, I always wanted to have a wombat, which I think only you can get in Australia. But I just thought it'd be cool to have an unusual pet. I like animals. Okay. I think animals are are cool. So uh, I always wanted to have a pet wombat. And then I thought a koala might be cool until I found out that they are, in fact, not friendly and actually can be really mean little suckers and they'll bite and uh, they have nasty claws uh, yeah, so but anyway, I've gone through different phases when I thought, oh, well, that would be fun. And occasionally I, I love in the show Friends, which I'm sure many of you have seen, Ross has a pet monkey, although monkeys I've never wanted to have. as a, I thought it was cool in the show. 
But I've never wanted to have a pet monkey because having been around a couple of monkeys, uh, I can tell you that they sometimes will mimic human behavior in ways that you realize this is a little too close, a little too close for comfort. You know, monkeys get jealous. Monkeys like to be mischievous. Monkeys, it's a little, little different. And I've mentioned before, there's a documentary called Project NIM, N-I-M, about a couple in New York City that tries to raise a, a chimpanzee as, well, as, as close to a, a human child as possible and teaches sign language. Fascinating documentary. Side note. But I've always thought it'd be cool to have a pet. Recently, I've been following an account uh, on Instagram of Juniper Fox, which is a pet fox. I think foxes are super cool, and I've always wanted to have a pet fox. So when I saw this story, it really resonated with me. And the story is about somebody in Clearwater, Florida, who has an emotional support squirrel. Uh, this guy saved Ryan Boylan saved his little friend Brutus, who is a squirrel, from uh, Hurricane Matthew uh, when it was just a little baby squirrel. And now he's become really, really attached to the squirrel. And if you see the photos of this, it's very cute. And, you know, he's gotten this is his pet. This is now like his little dog, except it's obviously a rodent with a bushy tail. And they're trying to get rid of they're trying to evict him now because they say the squirrel is an exotic pet. You know, I think this is unfair. And in New York City, I mentioned to you, you can't see. I know the laws about this. You can't have a pet hedgehog. Uh, you, you can't have a pet micro pig. But now they're, they're telling you that here in Florida, you can't have a a a support squirrel <laughs> or a pet squirrel at all. He applied for the paperwork to have this be a an emotional support dog. He says he has PTSD because of a car crash. And so he's trying to get around the rules and regulations. And I don't know if he has PTSD or not. That's not the point. He's obviously trying to use the regulations in his favor here. But I think the guy should be allowed to keep his his little pet squirrel. I think it's I think it's cute that, you know, he's so close to a squirrel. I think it'd be kind of a fun little pet. If you had a hamster or a, a guinea pig or something, nobody would think it was a big deal. But this guy, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But it's really the photos, if you can see it online, if you type in emotional support squirrel, I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, but it's it's pretty it's pretty cute. And my little sister, who is a lawyer and an animal, uh, a big animal advocate, was like telling me that she, she wishes she could support, you know, she could uh, represent this guy pro bono, you know, because he's such a, you know, he's a, an animal lover and uh, wants to keep his emotion. I've never heard of an emotional support squirrel before. That's a first. But anyway, it's cute. All right, team. I know. I know. I'm, I'm jumping around all kinds of topics here. It's the third hour. You know, we're all stretching out, having a little fun. I'll be back with uh, much more, including Team Buck Speaks, coming up. Well, team, my parents listen to this show, so that is one of the reasons why I am always on my, my best verbal behavior. You know, no, no potty mouth stuff going on here, uh, but they are avid listeners and have been since the Saturday show because uh, my mom and dad are the awesomest. Uh, but my mom pointed something out to me when I spoke to her earlier today, and that is that I got to come clean with all of you. I did not tell you the full story, the uh, the full details of the dachshund attack, as it were. Uh, everything I told you was true, but I left out a, a second part of the story, which if you missed yesterday, I was at a, 
uh, I was at a baby shower in the suburbs and very crowded, very nice party, lots of people there. And I lifted up to just get acquainted with the most ancient, gray, arthritic dachshund anyone has ever seen in their in their life. Uh, and it looked it looked so old and so frail as to be particularly cute. It did not occur to me that also being old and frail, it maybe didn't want to be picked up off the ground, off the carpet. And so I lifted it up and it almost took a piece out of my face and I almost dropped it on the ground. And the whole experience was a little bit of canine traumatizing, uh, a canine traumatization. It was not the best. But there was some follow up to that story as well. So after I had tried to play it cool and not let anyone see that I was the the doofus straight out of Meet the Parents, right? This is very much a Meet the Parents. Remember Mr. Jinxy, uh, Jinx the cat, and you know whether he could he could milk the cat and all that stuff. From I have to say, I think that's Ben Stiller's. Maybe that, and there's something about Mary, uh, but that may be Meet the Parents. Maybe Ben Stiller's best thing that he has ever done. It's certainly up there. I'm not a Ben Stiller fan particularly, but I think that movie has some really great stuff in it. Uh, I, but anyway, it was very meet the parents. I was a little bit, a little bit embarrassed. And so I am wandering around the party trying to play it cool. This is the part I didn't tell you yesterday. And sure enough, I, uh, and it's raining outside. It's, it's a pretty steady rain outside. It's a cold, rainy day out in the burbs in New Jersey. And I get by the front door and sure enough, I find myself, uh, in a little vestibule, and I hear a growl. Oh, and I should also know that the the dachshund, this this little little grizzled demon, uh, was also uh, its eyes. I think had cataracts because its eyes were a little cloudy. I know. I really I should not have touched this dog. Okay, fine, but its eyes were a little cloudy, so I don't think he could see very well. I think they told us later on. I found out that the dog is known to bite and is partially blind. So, okay. I wish I had known that ahead of time, but the dog's like 15. So everyone just kind of deals with it, you know, or, or 20 or however old it is. It's like the oldest dog I've ever seen. And I am in this little vestibule area. Oh, I was trying to get cell service and I walked into this vestibule area of the house and there's no way in and no way out except the front door. And there are some people gathered around the general area, but I'm the only one in the vestibule. And all of a sudden I hear, and I look over and the little ancient gray dachshund fellow, little little dachshund demon has, it can smell me and has followed me to the front door. And this is after the whole scenario where I tried to pick him up and he tried to bite my face off and he has cornered me in the vestibule. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Buck, this is the wimpiest story ever because it's a dachshund. Like, what's it going to do? But you have to understand, I'm at a cocktail party or a baby shower. People are drinking cocktails. Uh, I'm at a baby shower. It is packed with people. The dog isn't growling at anybody else. The dog hasn't cornered anybody else. The dog has decided that it will corner me in the vestibule. And I have two options here. Walk past the dog. There's no other way to go and deal with it, not just growling, but perhaps now trying to bite my ankles 
and maybe latches onto my sock or my pants or something. And now I've got the oldest docs in the world biting me and making a scene in front of a hundred people at a baby shower. Okay. And no one's going to think the dachshund's being mean. They're going to think, what did you do to the dachshund? So yes, as I told my parents, and now I'm sharing with you, I, I chose the other option. I went with plan B here and I just walked outside into the rain there was no cover or anything, and stood in the rain while the dachshund continued to growl until it finally lost interest and left the vestibule. So to avoid a nine-pound, hundred-year-old dog, I stood outside in the rain and got pretty drenched at a party. So these are the lessons that we learn in life, my friends. These are the, uh, these are the things that we should be well, these are the things that all of you are like, I already knew that, Buck. You don't pick up some old dog you don't know. I know. I'm like a kid, and I get excited when I see a dog, but I've learned my lesson. And uh, I will tell you that dachshunds are, uh, are no longer on my list. Not that they ever were, but, uh, you know, wiener dogs or sausage dogs or whatever you call them, no, no longer on my list. And that's the, uh, that's the full story. We'll get Team Buck Speaks here in just a minute. Stay with me. Team Buck Speaks. It is time, my friends, for us to get into what you think about everything going on here in the Freedom Hut, uh, not including the phone calls that we've already had, but written form. Let's get into it. Uh, this is perfect follow-up to the story I just told you. Uh, that Susan writes in, Dachshund equals carpet shark. Well, Susan, I couldn't agree with you more. That little guy was mean, man. He had sharp little teeth, too, and he moved around silently like a like a tiger shark under the water he was he was scary like I, i'm not getting a dachshund they're off the list that much i will say I, I, i'm not trying to offend anybody out there but i'm, I'm sorry I, i'm not a poodle person either i don't know what it is i just i can't get excited about poodles there are very few dogs and i'm like meh and poodles are in that category i know they're supposed to be really smart and I'm not talking about because the weird haircuts they get, you know, to each his own. I'm just talking about the, the breed is not one of my favorites, but all other dogs I love and really even poodles I like. All right. Donald writes in with the oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Chris writes in with the following dude uh, coming from a linguist. I've lived in Germany for 23 years. Hund equals dog, not hound, though the pooch could be classified as a hound. Just saying, OK, Chris, fair point. Yeah, technically a hund is dog, but I, I mean, a hound, a dog and hound, are, it's like saying dog versus canine. I mean, they're kind of interchangeable, but point taken. Very good, sir. You was your German for 23 years. You can actually speak the language, unlike me, who just tries to make fun of the language a little bit, yeah? Uh, Donald now writes in with the following. I hear you here up in Alaska on KENI. The Roy Moore accusers seem politically motivated. When Moore ran for the Alabama Supreme Court, I don't recall these types of accusations. Now, with several soft Republicans already in the Senate, the stakes are more critical. I think the stories may be political fabrications. It is appalling that the time to go to court on the criminal allegations has already passed, but the accusations are slanderous, if not true. All right, Donald, we've spent a lot of time on this and heard a lot of opinions, and I appreciate you sharing yours on that. Amy. Very different perspective on this, writes in the following. No, no, no. In a small town, they literally get away with murder 
people I went to high school with became coaches. They got high school students pregnant. They got promoted to principal. Small town politics in the deep south are dirtier than a pig in the mud. Vile things were perpetrated by leaders in my town and nothing ever got done and people got reelected. I'm guessing it's the same in Judge Moore's town. He totally could have molested his way to a judgeship. He was the DA and very, very powerful. Prosecutorial discretion is real in small southern towns. They can make anything disappear if you are willing to help them out. Bill Clinton started in the South. Well, Amy pulling no punches there in her analysis of what's going on with the whole Judge Moore situation. I've never lived in a small town. I can only speak to it from the perspective of somebody who uh, reads about and has spent some time in small towns. But Amherst College technically is a small town or the town of Amherst is small, but I was in a college. It didn't really count. I wasn't a part of what was going on. Although I should note that the town council did the true story. The town council did uh, pass a measure to ban the usage of nuclear devices inside town limits. So the town had a population, a non-college population of a few thousand. No nukes allowed, they said. They also flew the United Nations flag on the same pole as the U.S. flag, just because, if memory serves. Or it was at a, I think it might have even been higher than the U.S. flag. There were were some weird stuff going on with it. But there was definitely a U.N. flag in the town. Uh, But I, I don't have any experience of a small town. I will say this, though. I'm amazed at how many of my New York acquaintances, and I saw the stuff on SNL over the weekend. I saw clips of it. I don't watch SNL live. But I'm amazed at how many of them will just ruthlessly mock. I mean, there is a real uh, derision and condescension in places like New York, D.C., Los Angeles uh, and San Francisco and, and others, I'm sure. But there's a real condescension about southern accents from some coastal uh, coastal elites. And I think it's interesting because they just assume that because I'm from New York and I don't have an accent that. Uh, that, you know, I am OK with them saying this stuff. I I kind of want to tell them sometimes I my whole family on one side, there were, pl- there were plenty of accents. I had, a, I had a grandmother who was always, you know, get over here. I'm going to tell you about something, you know, straight out of Virginia and had the whole thing. You know, so I have Southern twang in my family on one side straight up. Uh, so I do not share the feelings of some of my uh, some of my fellow New Yorkers about oh Southern accent. Look at look at these uh, these rubes like Jeff Sessions. Uh, excuse me, J- Jeff Sessions sounds like one of my one of my cousins uh, actually. So why don't we why don't we step off a little bit? It's very interesting to see how the the assumptions are made about people here in New York and, and elsewhere, uh, and their assumptions about other people. Anyway, yeah. So if you didn't know that, I had my my dad's mom, my dad's brother, deep deep Virginia accents. Uh, and my dad's dad was from South Dakota. So whatever that accent is, he had that too. Uh, all right. We've got John writes in Roy Moore. So John's taking the political first approach to the whole Roy Moore situation. John writes in, you know, Roy Moore needs to win first and then possibly step aside. So GOP governor can replace. Otherwise Democrats win. Why is the GOP so stupid? It's too late to change the ballot. 
You know, John, I will say that there are multiple conversations happening right now about the whole Roy Moore situation, and the left wants to make it all one conversation and boil it down to this. If you don't assume that Judge Moore is guilty of all of this, you are defending pedophilia. That's what the left wants to say. That's what they want the narrative to be. But there are really two different conversations going on on the right now about what should be done about Roy Moore. You have on the one hand, is he guilty or not of these accusations? There will be no court process. It will only be judged in the court of public opinion. And I know there's a debate about that. And I've been reading and taking calls from many of you who just don't believe it. Then there's another level of in a bare knuckle political environment like the one that we have in this country right now, where one Senate vote can be the difference between a massive legislative change or a massive legislative repeal, for example, of Obamacare, do we need to just hold our noses, say that, you know, we can't know innocent until proven guilty and just do what has to be done here to win? I should note that I I brought up Mo Brooks. Mo Brooks, the congressman, has come out with a statement that he basically takes that position that, look, if I haven't heard anybody say that if more is guilty of this definitively and more admits it that he shouldn't step down. What I've heard are people saying a variation of I don't believe he's guilty at all or I don't believe he's guilty enough or I'm not certain enough about his guilt that I believe that he should step down and possibly hand this seat to a Democrat when this whole thing could have been either exaggerated or fabricated. Those are the arguments that I'm hearing out there. I do not hear this other argument about, oh, well, you know, if Judge Moore did this, it's not a big deal. I haven't heard anybody say that. And certainly nobody that I respect is taking that point of view on this. Uh, But we got more on this. I knew he would. TJ writes in, in regards to the Roy Moore ordeal, I tend to believe there's truth on both sides, that some or all of this may be true and that this is a political hit job. There's nothing better than a hit job that's true, right? But think about this scenario. Let's say he still manages to win the election, but the Senate refuses to let him in. What happens then? They don't give the seat to a Democrat, do they? I would assume that they would have to do another special election. Of course, in such a situation, the people of Alabama would be so upset with the establishment that they wouldn't put Strange back in, and hence Mo Brooks becomes the next Alabama senator. Is this far-fetched or plausible? This is from TJ. TJ, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I'd have to look into what the rules and the uh, what the current regulations on the books say about how this would go. I believe that even if he wins the election, the Senate could, well, I know the Senate could, with a two-thirds vote, decide to kick him out. So then the question becomes, what would happen then? And I, I think that they would have to have another special election. So, you know, beyond that, any, any parliament, Senate parliamentary issues that come up, I don't know. I'm, I'm not somebody who's, you know, I wasn't like a Senate, a Senate staffer or anything. I don't know how that would work, but I'll, I'll look into it a bit more. Robert writes in something a little different here. Uh, look up Ted Stevens, Alaska. The Lib Feds set him up and found him guilty. He lost the 2008 election. One Fed committed suicide. Then the case was overturned on appeal uh, for the Feds. Um, Yeah, no, I I know, Robert. I know that they I knew about the Fed who committed suicide. One of the prosecutors, I think because he realized that he had completely thrown his career away 
by withholding exculpatory evidence. For those who don't know, it had to do with improvements to Senator Stevens's home. And it was clear from an exchange he had that he thought that, you know, he was going to be I, I mean, I'm now I'm maybe a little hazy on the specifics, but he thought that he either would pay for the repairs or that he wanted to know the full cost of the improvements and repairs to his home. And that then changed the whole notion of the quid pro quo. And the prosecutors knew this and they hid it. They hid it from the jury. They hid it from uh, from their obligation under uh, to disclose this, to disclose that information. All right. uh, We get one more here. Frontier Renaissance writes in, hey there, let me know if you actually read this. I have zero interest in getting credit for this. I'm pretty sure nobody else made this observation. But doesn't it seem like a version of what might be revenge of the nerds right now with our politics? The jocks strike back. Trump is the jock and everybody else is the nerd. Nerds when he sees Democrats. That's what it looks like. He screams to me. So funny. I hope this makes sense. I'm pretty drunk. <laughs> well, uh, well, Frontier Renaissance, uh, I hope that you uh, hydrated. And if you had a little bit of a hangover, you slept it off. That makes sense. I can't say that I totally buy into your political analysis on this one, but I do like any reference to uh, 80s comedy movies, including Revenge of the Nerds. So thank you for that. And with that team, going to close up shop today in the Freedom Hut. Please do subscribe to the podcast. Also, check out the Stansberry Investor Hour on iTunes, another show I work on. We do a lot of finance, but also some politics. You can go to uh, InvestorHour.com for that. But Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes as well. Until tomorrow, Shields High.